Well, it's good to be back with you. I got home last night from Honduras at midnight. So it's good to be back with you. And then I leave in a few days for Virginia, and then I'll be back, Lord willing, after that. Pray for me. I've, my stomach's been doing weird things the last couple hours. Not again. Well, it'll be really bad if I get what I had, so. I'm still smiling. And I'm not contagious or nothing like that, so don't worry. Anyway, let's bow our heads and pray, and then uh, I want to wrap up a couple thoughts from last week and then finish off tonight. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are ever true to every single one of us, that you always keep your word. You always do what you say, and you delight in showing mercy. Father, tonight we just bless you for giving your Son, Jesus Christ. We just thank you, Lord Jesus, that though you were rich, you became totally poor, that we might, through your poverty, become rich. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that you believe in us. Thank you, Lord, that you are always, through your word, seeking to affirm us and build us up in this new life that's ours in Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, tonight that you just open our eyes, show us how we can be more like you. Show us, Lord, how we can influence people more when we're more like you. Open our hearts, Lord, tonight to receive what you have for us from the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> it's always a privilege, you know, to travel to other parts of the, of the country and the world and, and be with brothers and sisters who love the same Savior. You know, no matter where you go in the world, if people know Christ, <coughs> your family... And you have a kinship. And even though you may not speak the same language, there's a camaraderie. And it's so such a blessing, you know, just to be with brothers and sisters. It's such a blessing to be here with you tonight and sing to the Lord. Spencer, you guys did a wonderful job tonight. It was really a blessing. Just a blessing to sit back there and hear all of you sing and, and uh, share the joy of our Savior together. He really has given us a wonderful life, hasn't He? You know, as I was coming back on the plane and and I was sitting back there in the chair. I was thinking, Lord, my, we're just so rich. We're just so rich. We're just so blessed. You've just been so good to us. <clears throat> and we're so privileged to know Him. And someday soon, we'll be with Him. And then we'll realize just how much we misunderstood about God on this side of life. And how many times we will probably think back, not for very long... But in a fleeting moment, we'll think back, Oh my goodness, I didn't know I was so rich. Life wouldn't have got to me so much. Of course it'll be over and you'll forget that soon. But it's sure good to have that eternal perspective, isn't it? It changes the here and now. The Bible really does change the here and now. An eternal perspective really does change the here and now. That's why Paul writes, <clears throat> For these momentary light afflictions are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us when Christ returns. And you look at Paul's life and you think, how oh, in the world could Paul say something like that? You know, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was thrown in jail. Uh, really, the whole, the whole Jewish religious community wanted him dead. It's kind of like Solomon Rushdie, except he didn't have bodyguards. Nobody had to put a bounty on Paul's head. The Jews just wanted him dead. He just kept preaching anyway. 
And he says, our trials here, they're just so light. They're just so momentary. They really are. They really are momentary. Compared with the glories we're going to get. If you have nothing to compare it to, they're real heavy. They're real heavy. But when you put it side by side with what you're going to get, well, then they're pretty light. You know, last week when I was talking about love, there was a couple things I wanted to finish up on and I didn't get the chance. And I wanted to make sure I covered them. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I just have a few miscellaneous thoughts about this and then we'll get into our other topic for the evening. I want you to notice that all the things that love does, it does towards whom? All the things in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 are directed at who? What? Say it loud. Others what? Other who? Animals? People. All the things mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13 are primarily directed at people, at other people. Love is one of the primary ways you will have an impact on people. Whether you're a parent and you have a child that needs your patience, whether you're a spouse and you have... A spouse that needs your kindness. Whether you're in a small group and you're dealing with an individual there who's not very easy to love, who's not very considerate of others, who's rude, who says unkind things, you don't take them into account because you don't keep record of those kinds of things. Or whether it's an individual who's a little bit down on their luck, and doesn't hope anymore in life, you're the person who comes along and believes in them. Like God believes in you. Always and ever, your prime directive is to imitate God and live a life of love. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live a life of love. There are two verses that you absolutely should have memorized in your Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should never perish but have everlasting life. And 1 John 3.16 We know love by this that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. 1 John 3.16 and John 3.16 are so critical in the Christian's life. God loved us, so He gave. We love others, so we give. God loved us, He laid down His life for us. We love others, we lay down our interest and our ambition for others. And love will have a radical impact on other people's lives. I remember many years ago, it was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I met a young man at one of the colleges I had a Bible study at. And he started coming. This young man was kind of a 
timid, <clears throat> shy, kind of an odd young man. And he had a severe stutter. Very, very, very severe. So that <clears throat> you really, uh, it's hard to have a conversation with him. And you know, it was the kind of thing that the stutter was so bad that you would actually sit there and find yourself feeling, I hope nobody's looking at me. I'm feeling like I'm turning red. I feel so embarrassed for this person. It would take him about five minutes <clears throat> to say a sentence. But, um, you know, I knew God wanted to use me in his life. And I knew the Lord loved him. And I wanted to show him the Lord's love. So, you know, i just sit and I'd listen. <clears throat> and throughout our conversations together, I found out that he grew up in a very uh, alcoholic and abusive family. <clears throat> with a father who's very strong, macho kind of a man. And used to pick on him and ridicule him all the time. <clears throat> and this young man never really developed into full manhood just because he was so shamed all the time and so ridiculed and it got so bad that he just he felt so intimidated he could not even express himself and so he would stutter and his father would tease him <clears throat> so I would just sit and, and I would listen to him and I would share with him that God loved him and you know after about six months he didn't stutter anymore We'd have conversations and, <clears throat> and he didn't stutter anymore. We became pretty close friends. Then he moved on to other things. But I share that story to illustrate with you that, you know, you can have any kind of personality in the world, but if you know how to love people, you'll be an instrument of change in the world. If you know how to love other people, if you know how to die to yourself and allow the Holy Spirit of God to fill you in these arenas, you will impact the people in your world. And that's how we have world impact. By impacting the world one person at a time, one to one, or one to two, or one to three, or one to five, or one to a hundred, or one to a thousand, or one to a million. But it always begins one person at a time. Do you know how to love? Do you know how to affirm others? I was killing some time the other day. Uh, I hate to put it that way because time's so valuable. I was trying to kill it in a productive manner. Let's put it that way. I was stuck in airports yesterday for eight hours of my day. And so I went back over all my journals and I read all my verses that I've written down so far this year. And then I went over my book of thoughts and I read all the thoughts I've ever written down in there to refresh my memory. And then I, all this time I'm walking because you burn more calories if you walk than if you sit. So, I have this thing. So anyway, then I, go, then I read Psalm 119, prayed over that. And then I thought, well, I still got some time. So I went to the bookstore in the airport, in the Houston airport. And uh, I'm flipping through the books. So I see this book up there that probably some of you have. Uh, maybe some of you don't, called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. So, when I, you know, I'm flipping through this thing see what this guy has to say. So I'm flipping through the book, and this one list of, it, it, it's uh, the list of the average things that a, that a teenager hears on any given day. And it's, and it's blocked out at 7.30, at 8, at 9, you know, it just goes on and on. Aren't you ready for school yet? Why aren't you out of bed yet? 
it just it just went on thing after thing after thing after thing after thing that the average teenager hears from their parent or uh, or the average kid for that matter and then it then it had this little quote in these little boxes and I was flipping through reading the boxes just gathering information it said uh, is it any wonder that kids are struggling today when the average child in America spends seven hours a day seven Seven hours a day with the television, only five minutes a day with their father. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a big difference, isn't it? Words kill, don't they? Words kill. Think back the way you grew up. How many times, how many times do you remember hearing on a daily basis, I love you, sweetheart. I'm really proud of you. Boy, I tell you, I have a lot of joy. Because of you. Boy, you, that was a good decision you made. Excellent job. Thank you for your thoughtfulness to your little brother, your little sister. Hey, thanks for taking the garbage out. I really appreciate it. Hey, you want to go out and do something together? There's people in this room who can probably count on one hand, and there's others who can count on neither hand. The times anything like that ever happened. Reba McIntyre had a song, it was popular a few years ago, called The Greatest Man I Never Knew. He lived just down the hall, and every day we'd pass and never speak at all. And then there's another line where she talks about the greatest words I never heard. How was I supposed to know what he thought? You can't read each other's minds. Boy, the world would change, wouldn't it? Our families would change if we were just proactive, and we shut off the bad, and we turn on the good. And we allow the love of God to flow through our lives to other people. I remember, um, some of you know John Van Dyke, some of you don't. But I remember the first time I met John. Actually, let me back up. I don't remember the first time I met John. John helped my family and I move in to our home 12 years ago. Be 13, I think 13 this January 1st. I didn't even know he was there. John used to be the most timid, shy, mousy Um, unconfident individual that you could imagine. And he'd tell you that if he was here. <laughs> he really would. For a lot of reasons. John, when he was a, I think a freshman or sophomore in high school, weighed 90 pounds. And uh, he was always really short, really small. So he, he got this complex. Anyway, I met John and a few years after, you know, uh, as I was here, we got to know each other in the college group and we started hanging around together. Now, to be real honest with you, I don't think John and mine I'd say this. John would not have struck you as leadership material. There are very few people who ever would have believed John would be a public communicator today. But you know, I knew John had a heart for God. And John, we just keep hanging on together, and I just keep telling him, you know, John... I tell you, God's doing some neat things in your life. And I would just affirm him, and I just kind of... He just sort of became my son, to be honest. Just, just kind of became my buddy. And we'd go out after meetings with some other guys, and actually, I've done that with a number of guys, but I'm just using him tonight as one example. Love changed John's life. Love changed John's life. Love changes people's lives. When you simply take the time in your life to love and 
to affirm and to acknowledge and to believe and to persevere with an individual. You know, to keep persevering, to keep believing in that person. I remember when my youngest son, Micah, was born. He was our last. And, and we were also the oldest, of course, when we had Micah. I was 22 with my first, 32 with my last. There's a big difference. Big difference in what you will or won't tolerate, at least emotionally how you feel about it, uh, in your energy levels, etc., etc. And of course, God saved the most rambunctious for last. And Micah, you know, in those early years, he was by far the biggest handful of all the kids. I like to call him very determined. Some would call him rebellious. It all depends how you look at it. He's a very determined little boy. And he would test the limits. And he would go, go, go. Kathy and I just kept loving him. We just kept working with him. We just adjusted some of our expectations with him. We kept working with him. We kept working with him. You know, today, even just a few years ago, people who have known him, who used to babysit him, he's a totally different little boy. He is the sweetest, kindest little nine-year-old boy that I've ever known. Now, I don't know all the little nine-year-olds here, so I'm sure there's some just as sweet. I'm just saying, of all the nine-year-olds I've known, that little guy is so sweet. Man, he'll do the most thoughtful things for his mother, the most thoughtful things for his brother and sister. Do you know he didn't start out that way? There used to be a song when I was in church years ago. It's titled, Love Lifted Me. Love lifts people up. Love builds them up. And you and I can be a channel of God's love to other people. We've got to learn to believe in people. We've got to learn to believe in God in people. And we've got to learn to see the potential that's there. There's potential there. My gosh, if I didn't believe that, I'd quit doing what I'm doing. I walk away. Because human beings, you know, they'll let you down. You don't always get back what you put in. That's not what it's about. Jesus made us a promise that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it stands alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. The secret to loving people is dying to you. Plant yourself in the ground so that you might bear much fruit. That's what it's all about. I would say the single greatest ambition of my life is to learn to love people better. If you ask me, Mark, is there one besides knowing the Lord? Okay, I mean, I want to know the Lord and I pursue in my relationship with God. And of course, I'm about my mission. But if you ask me, what is the primary thing you want to grow in as a man? It's these attributes, 1 Corinthians 13. And of course, uh, I have 1 Corinthians 14.1 to give me that admonition because it says, make love your greatest aim. The Berkeley Bible says, make love your greatest quest. We must grow in love. If you think about our lives for a moment, they're basically, all of us are here because we came to an understanding that God loved us. That God cared about us. Now, you say, well, that's normal, Mark. No, it isn't normal. In our society, not everybody gets loved. In our society, the talented get an inordinate amount of attention. The pretty, the attractive, the muscular, they get an extra amount of attention. The ordinary, the ugly, the homely, the untalented, the dumb. We don't get much attention. The world doesn't pay much attention. 
they have proven statistically that men who are six foot taller, six foot or more, make on an average almost 10 to 12 percent a year more than men who are under six foot tall. It's the Saul principle. It's no different than the times of Saul. When they say, who will lead us? He, he should lead us. Why? Because he stands head and shoulders above everybody else and he's good looking and he's got charisma. Of course, they made the wrong choice. Really bad choice. Almost ruined the nation. Our entire society is based on the outward appearance. But not God. See? God looks at the inside. And as we love God, as we deal with people, we learn to look on the inside of the individual. We learn to see God is there. And so instead of taking notice of the wrongs that are done us, we overlook them. We overlook them. We cover them over. I had a person once <clears throat> who I knew, still know, and, and in many ways, and I'm being very honest about this, they owe me their life. Because of the relationship we had, because of really helping them to come to know Christ in a, in a deeper and more meaningful way, uh, tons and tons of time with my family, uh, helping them, training them, going to visit them when they were in the hospital. I mean, I, the list just goes on and on and on and on. And this person was close to our family, close friend, leader in the church. Not, not a pastor, but a leader in the church. All of a sudden, one day, this individual uh, was at church one Sunday, and every time we usually saw each other, you know, it, there was you know just a, a warm hello or a, uh, or, or a hug or how are you doing, boy? It's great to see you. All of a sudden, the person walked to church walked right by me down the hall and didn't say anything. I didn't think anything of it. And then they left, walked home right by me, didn't even look, just walked right by me. Well. You know what happened the next week and the next week? The fourth week I thought, you know, maybe I should call. Maybe maybe I've done something wrong or offended the person. So I called him on the phone. No, no, nothing's wrong. Didn't do nothing to offend me. Okay. Well, I, I just wanted to make sure, you know, it just seems like uh, this relationship's really changed all of a sudden. No, everything's fine. No, it wasn't fine wasn't fine for two years. The individual hardly gave me the time of day for two years. I'd go at home and wonder what in the world is going on. I couldn't figure it out. It baffled me. I just kept praying for him, believing in him, trusting God would use him. And you know today? God used him in a wonderful way in this church. And uh, now we talk again. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what always goes on in people's lives, in people's minds, and in their hearts. All I know is love will change people. And God intends for us to count the cost and to lay down our lives for others. You go ponder it. I want to talk with you the rest of the evening on the last principle that an impact player knows, and it's this. The impact player knows that humility is the path to greatness and blessing. The impact player knows that humility is the path to greatness and blessing. In Micah 6, 8, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 66, 2. I want you to see this verse. <clears throat> 
Isaiah 66, verse 2, Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, says the Lord? This is the one I respect, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. You know, if you want to get God's attention, try a little humility. God is near to the broken heart, the Bible tells us. He's close to them. He's close to them. James chapter 4 verse 6 makes it very clear that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now God loves you whether you're proud or humble as His child. He loves you. His love's the same. But God will actively oppose your pride. It's kind of like a little kid, you know, comes up and wants to punch you and you put your hand on his head and he's just hitting the air and beating the air. He's just not getting anywhere. God will do that to your life. You know why? Because he loves you. If he lets you go in your pride, you know what the Bible says? It's a universal law. Pride comes before destruction. If God allowed that to happen, he would, have, he would be taking part in your destruction. He didn't want to do that. So instead, he'll oppose you. He'll oppose you. He'll make it hard for you. He'll make things hard on you. Do you know why? So you'll break and become humble and give you grace and you can succeed. But pride comes before destruction. Pride has ruined so many marriages, hasn't it? So many, so many relationships. Just pride. Just the unwillingness to say, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I was wrong. Even if you weren't all wrong, to say, you know, I'm sorry that I gave an offense. Would you forgive me? It's just our pride. And boy, it's hard on us, isn't it? It's hard on your emotions. It's hard on your heart. It's hard on your capillaries. It's hard on your blood pressure. It's hard on your back. It's hard on your ulcers. It's hard on your mind and your brain when you get headaches because of your pride. And God's making things go hard on you. It's hard when you... He makes it go hard on you when you think you're so good and you can do things and you just don't stop and pray and humble yourself before God and say, God, I need your help. Philippians chapter 2. If you go there for just a moment, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2. We'll start with verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Now, I do not believe that the Bible, what it's saying here, I want to make sure that you're clear on what it's saying, what the text is saying before we read the rest. It's not saying that your needs are not important. They are, and God cares about your needs. But it says your attitude should be others first. Others first. How can I serve you? How can I be a blessing to you? <clears throat> Alright? So, that's, that's what I believe the context is when it says in humility, consider others better than yourself. In other words, in humility, hey, your needs here are paramount. Your needs are more important. How can I bless you? How can I build you up? What would be good for you? You shouldn't look only to your own interests, but also the interests of other people. 
Your attitude, this should be an attitude you develop, should be the same as that of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. There are some interesting concepts here. First of all, we see humility shows itself in obedience. There is no humility apart from obedience. Why would that be? Think about it for a moment. All right? Proud people are unsubmissive. The proud person is the person calling the shots, not the person submitting to the call. Now, we like to be the kings of our own life, the kings and queens of our own life. We like to call the shots. We don't like to be stepped on. We don't like to be walked on. Jesus and God, they were equal. You and the person sitting next to you, you're equals. Okay? You're equals. In the eyes of God, you're equals. Jesus and God, both divine. Both deity. But Jesus said, you know what, Father? Well, I'll take the low road. I'll go down there. I'll be born with junk all over my skin and my face. And I'll be a baby who pees his pants and poops his diaper and throws all up over mom. And I'll become dependent human. And I'll go down there and I'll serve mankind. And you know what? I'll, I'll let them step on my rights. And, I, and I'll let them... And I'll be a doormat, Lord. And in fact, Father, in the end of it all, I'll let them torture me and sadistically abuse me. And then you know what, Father? Why? I'll let you make me the thing that, that we both hate the most. I'll let you make me sin. And, and I'll give up everything I have here, Father, for their sake. Now, you can argue with me all you want, but I'm right. You are to cultivate the same attitude Jesus had when he came here. And I'll tell you something, brothers. I mean, imagine the Lord. All the things the Lord had to deal with with the disciples. They're arguing who's the greatest. My gosh, you idiots. How can you possibly argue about that? I am God. (laughs) Obviously, I'm the greatest. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus never got antagonistic in his speech towards the disciples. He swallowed his pride because he was tempted just like you and me. And then he sought to build them up. And he said, well, you know what? You can be great. Whoever would be great among you, be the servant. Here, let me show you what I mean. And Jesus got down and he took their shoes and one by one, their ugly, stinking feet, he washed them. God washed them. Wives, you want to change your husband? You know, you take his, take his shoes off sometime when he gets home and rub his feet. Husbands, you want to change your wives sometime, you know, and see an impact on their lives? Why? Rub their feet. Do the stinking dishes. My gosh. Don't have to be asked to empty the diaper diaper pail. If we practiced our Christianity, if we just did what Jesus says to do, think of the impact in our relationships. Be radical. It would be radical. Now, of course, we have the same flesh Jesus had. He had a flesh. Did you know that? He had the same flesh you do. Except he never gave into it. 
Bible says in Hebrews, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he never sinned. Now he understands we do, and of course we do. That's why we forgive each other. Just like the Bible tells us to. We should forgive each other. Make allowances for one another's faults, the Bible says, because of your love. You ought to prepare to be hurt. You're going to be hurt tomorrow. Your spouse is going to hurt you tomorrow, the next day and the day after that. Your roommate's going to hurt you tomorrow, and the next day and the day after that. Deal with it. My goodness, they're a human being, and so are you. Take a look in the mirror. I realize all of us, including myself, think we're pretty good. But I do have to come to the realization that probably every day of my life, I hurt someone in my life. Whether it's a child that I spoke in a manner that maybe wasn't as kind as it should have been, or a look, or a sigh, or, oh man, do I have to do that now? We're not God. So you can believe that somebody today you hurt and they had to forgive you. You can forgive them. But my brother and sister, the power of the Word of God here, the power. I don't consider equality with my wife something to hold on to. I don't consider equality with my fellow pastors something to be held on to. If you respect them more, fine. More power to them. God bless them. I am just a servant in the house of God. That's all I am. That's all I am. And I'll tell you, God will work on your motives. God will see to it that you get slighted. God will see to it that others get credit for things you should have gotten credit for. But just remember, He's got it written down. And He knows who thought it and who did it. And He'll give you the credit. But in the meantime, you may get overlooked a whole lot at work. Others may get promoted. Well, you're not. Well, you believe God. The Bible says a man is tested by the praise given to him and often the praise not given to him. And we'll find out, you see, is there humility in our heart? God wants to develop our humility. You know, I realize in my own life I'm not as humble as Christ. So i got a lot of growing to do. I want to become greater in my humility. An impact player recognizes his true state that without Christ he's a miserable louse a hopeless failure, and a true incompetent. But with Christ, He is a new creation, righteous, holy, and competent. We are what we are by the grace of God. And in humility, He believes what God says is true over what he or she feels or what the devil tells them. The humble person freely accepts the grace of God and God pours it out even more. They know that apart from God they are nothing and they know that apart from the rest of the body of Christ, they are useless. The impact player is a team player seeking the good of God and their fellow players. They're not looking for personal glory, but solely for God's glory. But solely for God's glory. You know, it takes humility to be in the limelight and it takes humility to be out of the limelight. It took humility for David to walk to the front of the battle lines when he was 17 and all the troops were cowering and Goliath was walking out and in those days, you got to understand, Goliath was like a nuclear bomb. <clears throat> we're talking about the Braveheart days, which was the majority of history. It's only been in the last several hundred years, not even probably that, that we've had guns and we could kill at a distance, that battles could be fought at a distance. But for thousands of years, man fought man face to face, face to face, sword to sword, club to club. But all of a sudden, there's this man 
who minimum weighs 500 pounds, nine foot tall, and the head of his spear weighed 15 pounds, the Bible tells us. Imagine what the whole thing weighed. And when he threw it, it went through you. It put a pretty sizable hole in your body. And he would come out every day and he would bellow. He would shout. Anybody here see my giant with Billy Crystal? Nobody here? Okay, well, anyway. You know who George, you know who George Burasan is? The basketball player who does that infomercial about his smelly perfume? He's the funny Croatian guy who talks funny. Billy Crystal's shorter than I am, and I'm pretty short. I think Billy Crystal's about 5'6". They're in this movie together. You see the contrast. It's unbelievable. Billy Crystal can walk right underneath his legs. Guys, just, just the contrast is huge. This was David and Goliath. Goliath was just mammoth. Well, David, David wasn't being proud when he put himself forward and said, I can kill him. His reaction was the only reaction of a humble man who loved God. Because you see, a humble man is a man of faith. A humble woman is a woman of faith. She says, you know what? I believe God. God will give me the grace and I'm going to go forward. Oftentimes, humble people who are confident in the Lord are accused of being arrogant. But at the same time, a humble person also is a person who does not seek their own will. And in David, we see both. You know where we see the other side of David's humility? It was with Saul. David had three chances to kill Saul. And every time, he didn't. Even though his men urged him, kill him. He deserves to die. David was already the rightful king. He had been anointed by Samuel. Saul was spreading rumors. The whole nation of Israel thought David was a rebel and deserved to die. The entire army of Israel chased him like a dog and David fled and one day when Saul was in a cave going to the bathroom David was in the same cave Saul didn't know it he snuck up and cut a piece of his robe when Saul left and got way down David stood way up and said Saul is that you my son David it's me Saul Saul why do you chase me I'm just a flea on a dog's back David understood he was nothing. There's nothing. We're nothing without God. He said, Saul, I'm not trying to hurt you. Saul began to weep and said, you're more righteous than me. But then David, Saul's jealousy took over again. But once again, you see, Saul's humility, the humble person, leaves their fate in the hands of God. The humble person leaves their fate in the hands of God. They're not the person that you drag out who's kicking and screaming about their rights. They are the person who in humility is God-dependent. Pride is self-dependence. Humility is God-dependent. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between Ricky Waters and Barry Sanders. Need I say more? If you've watched their careers, there's a fundamental, radical difference. I have a friend, he comes here from time to time, and I see him at the club and we chat, and he's a professional football agent. Henry Thomas is one of his clients, as well as a number of others. And when Henry was traded from the Vikings to the Detroit Lions, my friend 
would go from time to time, talk to some of the other players, and would often be there with Barry after practice. So one day, this friend of mine, Jeff and I, we were talking, and he said, uh, you know, Mark, he said, Barry is really an uncanny individual. He's probably, will go down in history as the most talented running back that there's ever been. He's just phenomenal gift and talent. He said, and yet, Mark, he's the most humble man on the field. He said, after the practice, he's picking up the other players' towels. And he's going to see if they need any water. And all, all the guys, they, they really like him. It Barry's learned to be a servant. Of course, the Lord Jesus told us that if you would be great in the kingdom, then you must be the servant of all. You must be the servant of all. The rich, the famous, the insignificant, and the infamous. The least, the homely, the beautiful, the average, the extraordinary. It doesn't matter who they are. The humble person is not a respecter of persons. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing. In ministry, you'll have all kinds of things come your way. Some of them are good and... Some of them are bad. I was watching Spencer tonight up here leading the worship. and He wasn't around. A lot of you weren't around when I used to lead the worship. But I used to lead the worship with uh, Natalie and another girl, Nikki, Doug's wife. It wasn't too long until pretty soon there was a little rumor going down the halls that, you know, Mark, he just likes to hang around the beautiful people. Mark, he shows up Wednesday nights, Mark and the Barbie dolls. I doubt anyone's going to say that about Spencer because he's married to one of them. She's blonde and the other blonde's on the right and Joe's in the room here tonight. Did I deserve that? Not really. Very few people have any idea of the broken lives that I've dealt with that you gain nothing from. But you know, that's what happens when you lead. That's what happens when you care. You just, you're going to get accusations, brother, sister. You're going to get them. But you know what? God wants us to, to stay our course and to be gracious to those who hurt. Probably one of the verses I go over and over in my mind says, The Lord's bondservant must be kind to all, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God might grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. But you stay the course. And you serve all that God brings your way. Whether they're ordinary or whether they're extraordinary. That's not the issue. The issue is, Lord, I love you and I just want to serve. I just want to serve. All I want to do is serve you. And that's what we do. And we serve God by serving other people. A humble person is a person of prayer. Because prayer shows your dependence upon God. If you're not a person who cultivates prayer in your life, now I just be very blunt with you. If you're not a person who prays on a consistent and regular basis, and maybe, let's even put it this way, frequently throughout your day, we're not talking about hour-long prayers. We're talking about, Lord, right now I just need your help. Lord, right now help me tonight. Lord, I pray for this. I commit this to you. You know what that says about you? It says you're simply not God-dependent. And what it means is you're self-dependent. Which means, even though you're not like Michael Irvin, you're proud. You're proud. 
A humble person is teachable and enjoys seeing others succeed. You know, some years ago, it's probably been five, four or five. I'll end with this story, okay? Um, just to, God's always, of course, working on my life. He's always working on all of us. I realize that all the trials that God brings in my life are meant to work on my character, to make me more like the Lord Jesus. Even though sometimes I don't really want them or think I really don't need them, of course the Lord knows I do. <clears throat> it's about five years ago, six years ago, and you know, some of you know who have been here for a while, my role has, you know, changed in Evergreen from what it once was. And um, I used to do a lot more of the weekend teachings and a lot more of singing and leading things and et cetera, et cetera. But as time goes on, of course, you've got to develop other individuals and give them the opportunities to lead and be involved. But, uh, but uh, you know, Brent and I, we would talk, and in our earlier years, we'd talk, we'd go, well, you know, Mark, you seem to have more of a gift for the seeker, so we'll use you, you know, 70% of the weekends and, and I'll do uh, less, and, but, you know, it'll balance out because we have different gifts, different strengths. So that was fine. That's what we did for a long time. We started adding more pastors, and of course, more pastors mean, you know, people want opportunities to share, and, and God wants to use those individuals. So, I went through a year, a whole year, never had another year like this, where almost every day I was unsettled. I was not sure if I should stay here anymore. I really pondered if it's time for me to leave. If maybe what I am is a catalyst or a spark plug, and maybe it's just time for me to go. You know, God's done some things here, and there are capable individuals here. Maybe it's just time I should just leave. So, but I never got an answer. And I'd pray, and I'd pray, and I'd be up nights wondering, you know, Lord, I just, I just don't know, what do you want my role now? So one day, I'm out praying, and uh, it's about a year later, and God started to speak to me. He said, Mark, I said, yeah, Lord, Mark, you remember the passage <coughs> where uh, John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease? He said, yeah, Lord, you know. You know I want you to increase in my life, Lord. And I want to decrease. That's been my prayer for years. Lord said to me, well, Mark, that's not really what I want to get at today. I want you to go read the passage. I want to share something new with you. So I went, looked up the passage. and I'm reading the passage, and it hit me. It hit me. Man to man, not man to God. John the Baptist was Jesus' six-month older cousin. First cousins. John the Baptist's ministry had started first. John had quite a ministry. And man to man, John said to Jesus, You know what, Jesus? You take the spotlight now. My times, my role's different. And I'll decrease. And the Lord said to me, Now, Mark, I want you to take all the pastors, I want you to put their name in there. Mark must increase, but I must decrease. Brent must increase. And I must decrease and, and on down the line. And I realized that that's, that time, that time, that's the role God wanted me to take. You know, in my heart, I had peace about it. I knew that moment is what it, God wanted me to do. But in my mind, I was really unsure about it. After I began to do that, it was very interesting. I had people call me up, say, can we talk? Sure. So Mark, well, I was wondering, you know, why so-and-so is teaching on the weekends and you're not so much because... You know, it seems to me that you ought to be doing it. 
just because you know you have an act for doing it. I said, well, you know, I said, maybe let me share our strategy with you. Our strategy is to be able to reproduce this, to develop more and more individuals who can do it. And you know what? All these men, they have something to offer. You know what? The church is just going to have to get used to it because that's the way God wants it to be. That's the way God wants it to be. You could pray for me that I would continue to grow in humility because I realize that if I don't grow in humility, I won't experience more grace. If I don't experience more grace, I won't be able to influence more and more individuals and God will not be able to use me as I know that He wants to use me. But you pray for that. And you pray in your own life. You practice humility on your spouse. You practice humility on your roommates. You practice humility in your small group. I'll tell you what, brother and sister, God will grow you. He will grow you. And He'll give you more grace. And you'll experience more power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, you know, Lord, you know me inside and out. And you know that I'm not like your son. You know that sometimes I don't even know my own motives. But I know you do. And I trust you. I trust your love for me. I trust your mercy towards me. I trust your fairness towards me. I trust your righteousness towards me and your judgments, even though sometimes they're hard. I ask you, God, please somehow take these words and drive them home to my brothers and sisters' hearts tonight. Lord, make us impact players in the kingdom of God. Make us people who have an impact on the world around us because we are like you. Please make me more like you, Lord. More more than anything else in the world, I want to be more like you. I want to be more of the father that you are, more of the husband that you are, more of the friend that you are, more of the servant that you are, more of the lover that you are. So please grow me, Lord, and work in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.